Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Happy Life Day to all of you out there in listener land. I'm Ryan Daly, and you are listening to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars podcast of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If that greeting wasn't a big enough hint for you, the subject for this episode is indeed the renowned the beloved Star Wars Holiday Special that originally aired on Friday, November 17th, 1978, almost 38 years ago to the day. My guest for this special event is making his third appearance on Give Me Those Star Wars. Please welcome back Mr. Aaron Bias. Hello again, Aaron. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. You've wanted to talk about the Star Wars Holiday Special for a while. Uh, in fact, you campaigned to have me discuss it last year on Dead Boff and Spies, and unfortunately the timing didn't work out, we just couldn't get to it before December, and then everything after that point was all Force Awakens all the time. But now, we are here, this episode is going to come out right around the 38th anniversary of the original broadcast, so tell us, Aaron, what does the Star Wars Holiday Special mean to you? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know what it means to me, per se. It's one of those things. It's it's one of those uh, sort of Star Wars arcana, you know? It's, uh, it's from that weird gray period after Star Wars had come and gone and before there was Empire Strikes Back, where there are things that come out and... They're tie-ins to Star Wars, they've got the Star Wars brand, etc., but they don't necessarily end up sticking around as more new Star Wars comes along. <laughs> now, most of that kind of stuff's just merchandising things, you know, storybooks and coloring books, book and record sets, things that have stories, or the Marvel comics, you know, <laughs> things that have stories that are kind of like... Uh, their canonicity is subject to change the second somebody actually makes a movie. All right. This, on the other hand, is something officially made with Lucasfilm's involvement. Mm-hmm. It came out, it was aired once live on television, and then it was hidden in the darkest corner of the Skywalker <laughs> Ranch's basement. And if not for the existence of YouTube and, <laughs> and, and a network of bootleg videotape salesmen at every convention I've ever been to... Right. It would remain that thing you think you saw. <laughs> it has a surreal, dreamlike quality that will linger for years until you actually get a hold of a copy and go, oh man, this? To me, it feels like Saturday Night Live decided to do a full episode parody of like just skits of Star Wars, <laughs> but didn't approach it as a comedy. Just decided, like, we're not going to make this funny, we're going to do it seriously, but it's... it's <laughs> It, like the, uh, how do you describe this thing? It's like taking a lot of what you like about Star Wars, including you know the cast and like some of the ideas and everything, along with most of the things that you don't really care about variety TV specials, mm-hmm. with all of the pageantry and sophistication of a high school play that you're kind of dragged to by people like your extended family. If it were a parody, it would be like a high concept, like Andy Kaufman esque. How long can you endure this for the sake of the joke 
kind right. of parody. So when and how did you end up actually watching the special for the first time? Well, here's the funny thing. Now, I know you, my friend, are, uh, are a little younger than I am, and so... I was born six months ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your, your first, uh, I know your first, like, big screen Star Wars was Jedi, am mm-hmm. I right? Was mm-hmm. that, is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Whereas uh, I, was, I was, like, five when Star Wars actually came out, so I was not yet six when this aired. And we had uh, one television with uh, an aerial. We didn't have cable. And my father, I remember vividly sitting in our TV room, and this came on, and I was really excited. <laughs> uh, and this was, you know, just before Christmas of 78, so I didn't even have Star Wars figures yet, but I was hopeful. And this came on. We watched the opening credits. It started, and I think about five minutes into non-stop Wookiees <laughs> talking with no subtitles, my father got up and turned the knob and changed the channel to something else. <clears throat> and then I got to hear about it at school. People kept talking about it. And then when the Boba Fett promos started to mail off to get this mysterious new action figure from a movie that wasn't out yet, everybody was like, oh yeah, he was on the holiday special. And I was like, what? <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I was vaguely familiar with the existence of Chewbacca's family because a uh, a book and stationery store my my mother had taken me to had the Wookiee bedtime storybook or whatever that that had them in it, mm-hmm. um, and so I I kind of like you know was meta aware of who his family were when they came on in the beginning of the special, but I did not see it in 1978. So let's flash forward to oh I think I was in college. I was either at a toy show or a comic book show, and I ponied up the dough for a bootleg videotape <laughs> recorded off of a Kansas City television station in 1978. It had a couple of the commercials left in. They'd fast-forwarded through most or edited them out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one they left. Actually, actually, I could say I'm sure they edited it because the only commercial that was left was, uh, it was C-3PO and R2-D2 hawking the upcoming toys. It wasn't the version that's on YouTube right now that has, like, all the look for the union label and AT&T ads in it, right. which is a much nicer cut than mine. Um, but uh, I was just blown away. First of all, I was just thrilled, and I still am thrilled when I see it a little bit, just to be able to see this thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is, and I don't want to get ahead of us here because I know we're going to go into more depth. Yeah. It is mind-numbingly dull. <laughs> and I can only say that I, I really don't hold a grudge against my father for giving up on it. I'm a little surprised he gave up on it as quickly as he did, but it's it, he didn't miss a thing. I can imagine a lot of people would have wanted to do the exact same thing at, when you get to the first you know, five, ten-minute sequence when it's just people in Wookiee costumes being nonverbal or at least not speaking in any language and it's just, we'll get, we're getting ahead of ours we will get into that um, <laughs> I had heard of the special sort of notoriously as where Boba Fett first appeared and mm-hmm. just sort of anecdotally I heard that yeah before he was in The Empire Strikes Back he was in this holiday special and I grew up thinking that it was like a Christmas cartoon like it was like just like you know like a special case okay, for like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, the Star Wars Holiday Special, and I assumed it would have been something like a Rankin Bass, you know, Christmas special or something like that. If um, only. Yeah, and then Phil uh, Tippett does the uh, you know. The- <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Eventually, I sort of found out. Okay, there's a little bit more to it that it it blends both. You know, live action. It has the real actors in there. There's also this animated parts. And growing up, I I would see sort of in isolation different parts of it. Like I saw the animated segment mm-hmm. with Boba Fett and with like the characters animated. Like that was like I, I somebody had that on VHS. And then I think one like one of the first times I got a computer with internet access somebody sent me like a file with that or like or had it on a disc or something like that or something and then i had seen the uh, the scene with b arthur as the bartender in tatooine so i saw that whole number and and like a few things and then it would have been in college going to a comic store and they had like the thing kind of like set up in the back they were like yeah we're screening the star wars holiday special three times throughout the day they were basically doing it on repeat i was like okay so i was buying comics and then there was just like a couple of chairs sat out in the TV. I was like, I got nothing else going on for a couple... I mean, I'm college. I didn't have any classes that day or whatever, so I just sat down for a couple hours and watched, watched this thing, and boy, it was... I mean, I haven't watched it since, the, since then until this morning <laughs> when I knew that we were going to have to talk about it. I was like, all right, I'm going to have to watch this again. Um, and I, I mean, I think I probably know where you stand, but can you defend this? Do you think this... Is a worthwhile endeavor for people to watch this? I that that's okay. I watch it when I watch it. I watch it out of my own need for there to be some Star Wars on. Mm-hmm. I've seen Star Wars. I, you know, I've seen Star Wars. I've seen Empire. I've seen Jedi. I've seen The Force Awakens. I've seen the prequels. I've watched those two Ewok movies. <laughs> So, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to ask if it's worth watching, because I will watch garbage that is Star Wars. I will sometimes, this this kind of makes its way into, I don't make my kids watch this, because I'm afraid child services would be yeah, involved. But... I will usually put this in at some point uh, in November or December. I think last year at Thanksgiving, uh, I got my brother-in-law and I sat in the living room of my uh my father and mother-in-law's house and streamed it on YouTube after dinner <laughs> and just sat there, you know, in awe of basically, you know, just trying to like calculate how big the pile of cocaine was <laughs> that produced this fever dream of a holiday special. I think it's and, really telling that when you look at all of the merchandise associated with Star Wars and mm-hmm. how much George Lucas and the company has been willing to go back to the well and constantly redistribute and re-release the same material over and over again, knowing that mm-hmm. somebody out there will buy it and it will make money. And right. the fact that they have never done that with this, they have never rebroadcast it, it has never been officially re-released in any channels. That- you have to stream it on, on like YouTube or something, or you have to find a bootleg copy. Like, mm-hmm. I think that tells you a lot about... Well, he was very dissatisfied with the mm-hmm. results. And and I think that... Okay, so uh, I did read... I did a little research, and, and I read a, a, an interview someone did with the director. Steve Bender, yeah. Steve Bender. Who was and the, the second director they got, because the they, they had somebody else in, attached to it, and he left mm-hmm. shortly before. Well, and Bender said that, hey, he's, he's, he's the Mr. Wolf of TV special directors. <laughs> When things have already gone bad, <laughs> they called Steve Bender. 
and he had experience just, you know, it, that wasn't the only thing he ever did as far as like, you know, he wasn't always the guy who got handed the disaster. Um, he did uh, the Steve Allen show. He did some other things early on. I guess he was the guy who they called in to pull their fat out of the fire when they'd already invested a bunch of money in a, in a Nancy Sinatra special that ended up not happening because she made a deal with somebody else. And then they made it a Petula Clark special, but Petula Clark was unhappy, so he had to like get her back on board and some other craziness. So they called him in when this was already behind schedule and over budget. And uh, according to Steve Bender, when he came in, they had built the Wookiee's house mm-hmm. uh, in a fully immersive 3D environment. And he says, well, you know, this is beautiful, but why would you do this? You know, how do you get the cameras around? And they're like, well, that's one of the problems we're having. <laughs> they made it with four walls. They made an actual, like, interior Right, with and four walls, and if you're doing a special in front of a live studio audience, like a four camera show, like these were meant to mm-hmm. be, you mm-hmm. need a sort of proscenium setup where the audience can see it. Right. So the first thing he did was have him knock out a wall, <laughs> and but he says that you know he's 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 not unhappy with the thing. He he said he learned a lot about it. You know he thinks that you know he he's he's basically satisfied because he delivered the goods on t- you know on time. He, he came in and, and turned it around and, and made it work. He doesn't go into its artistic merits. Um, but he said he was very disappointed in how upset George Lucas was about it, that George Lucas uh, stated on more than one occasion, he, he said things like, if he had the time, he'd go out and find every copy of it and smash it with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Or he wanted to get a hold of the negatives so he could have it you know erased from history. Bender, on the other hand, was kind of puzzled by this because, as he points out, well, all of the Wookiee things were written by George Lucas. Mm -hmm. And that it was based on, you know, a script that he did a first pass on and that he signed off on. And that's true. He signed off on it, you know, regardless of what it is. I think where, where we run into problems is that Lucas, I don't think George, even though he got a script and signed off on it, I don't think he really quite understood that the network was making a variety show. Right. I don't think he were that really, you know, I think he thought he was writing a story and it would have some guest stars. I don't, you know, I can't, I don't know. What am I? But I'm saying, you know, that's the only thing I could think of that makes any logical sense. How you could get this involved and then be outraged is that uh, maybe you just didn't see it coming. The like Julia child parody with Harvey Corman and oh, four arms. Or, yeah. We're going to get into the, the actual details and the nuts and bolts of this. And, uh, I think we should probably just do that. We should probably dive into picking this thing apart bit by bit, like with each little like segment. Uh, but before we get to that, folks, we are going to take a short promotional break. Uh, so play another uh, a promo for a podcast that you might enjoy listening to. But when we come back, Aaron and I are going to break down and review the Star Wars Holiday Special moment by moment, bit by bit, star by star. Come, come back and join us if you dare. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before.
This is Siskoid from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, here to welcome you to the trailer for Gimme That Star Trek, a companion show to Ryan Daly's Give Me Those Star Wars on the same network, launched to coincide with Star Trek's 50th anniversary. Since Star Trek was one of my first loves, something I covered daily for over three years on Siskoid's blog of geekery, and indeed the reason behind my internet handle, I named myself after my favorite Starfleet captain, Benjamin Sisko, I couldn't help but do this, and thankfully, the larger podcasting community has answered the call. About once a month, I get to sit down with a new guest host to talk about an aspect of Star Trek. Could be any version, any show, any medium, any topic. Some of the things that are already lined up include, what if the cage had gone directly to series with Gene Hendricks? Star Trek's humanistic philosophy with Dr. G, Man of Nerdology. Why the animated series deserves a second look with Aaron Bias. Alien Wedding Ceremonies with Lonely Heart Bastavac. Characters we ought to have seen more of with David Ace Gutierrez. The New Frontier novels with the Irredeemable Shag. Star Trek Captains Hot or Not with The Girls. And looking beyond the Klingon cultural shift, Janeway's decision to kill Tuvix, the Star Trek CCG. How Badass was Sulu, Making Sense of the Prophets, Enterprise's sense of retro design, and of course, news about your favorite franchise as we come closer and closer to the debut of a new Star Trek show. So I hope you'll join me and my guests, and if you're listening to this, perhaps you will become one, as we boldly go where many, yes, have gone before. The show, again, is Gimme That Star Trek, available from the Fire & Water Podcast Network at fireandwaterpodcasts.com and on iTunes. Solo. Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. With Anthony Daniels as C3PO. Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. R2D2 as R2D2. And James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. Introducing Chewbacca's family. His wife, Mala. His father, Itchy. His son, Lumpy. With special guest stars, Beatrice Arthur. Art Carney. Diane Carroll, the Jefferson Starship, Harvey Corman, and an animated Star Wars story on the Star Wars Holiday Special. All right, we're back. The Star Wars Holiday Special, directed by Steve Binder, written by, at least credited, the writing staff includes five people, including Bruce Valanche. So, hey, there you go. 
It opens actually with a teaser. We get a little bit of uh, archive footage of the Millennium Falcon being chased by some Star Destroyers. And we get the scene with Han Solo and Chewbacca. It's Harrison Ford and the two of them just kind of talking, interacting. And when I watched it, I had this weird kind of thought and question. In all of the Star Wars movies, how often did we see Han and Chewie alone together? Just the two of them. (laughs) You know, that's a good question. We saw them alone together in the bar at Moss Eisley for a couple of minutes. We saw them alone on Hoth when they were out hunting the probe droid. Mm -hmm. I think that's about it, except for when they're imprisoned at Jabba's Palace. And those are all moments when they're doing some sort of action, or Han is just giving like a a brief little speech at the bar after Obi-Wan and Luke leave. Like, Mm -hmm. their scenes where it's just the two of them are really few and far between, and I don't know if it's just the dialogue in this sequence, but when you just see the two of them, and it's just Han interacting with... Chewie that can't really say anything or get back in your you're only hearing a half of the conversation mm-hmm. I don't know if that really works without a third person to witness <laughs> it without somebody like Luke or Leia or Ray to get their POV of this conversation like I think if it's just the two of them cinematically dramatically I don't know if it works. Now, maybe maybe it's just the presentation in this special, and it's just this clunky, not very good dialogue. But I, I don't know. I, I felt like this was kind of seeing... I was kind of seeing something, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if this works without somebody else interacting with Han and Chewie. You know, maybe this... I don't think that's like necessarily a hard and fast rule. I, I, I can see what you're saying about this particular segment. In some cases, Chewbacca is almost like, uh, you know, the, the Lone Ranger started off on the radio, and he didn't have anybody with him but the horse. Right. And they got tired of having to write him saying things inexplicably to his horse just to clue in the crowd. Mm-hmm. So any any Chewbacca and Han solo, no pun intended, interaction is basically just a chance for Han to give some exposition. But it could just as easily be someone who you understood when they spoke back to him or asked him a question. Because there really isn't that much reason for Han to repeat himself when he talks back to Chewie, since right. regardless what language they're speaking, they both understand each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, no, you're right. That is a little. It's a little clunky, and and it's it's very clunky in in that opening segment. He's just kind of. It really feels like they should have done a couple of more takes, and either the director didn't care, or Harrison Ford was being feisty that day and just wanted the hell out. <laughs> not gonna not gonna give you more yeah. than one take. I'm not gonna. No, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Let's and, shit, I'm leaving. Yeah, and we should mention, if you've never seen this special before, the, the whole sort of setup is that Han and Chewie are flying back to the Wookiee planet, canonically referred to as Kashyyyk, although I think it's mentioned one time as Kazook. They're flying back to Chewbacca's home to see his family for Life Day, which is this general holiday. You know, it could stand in for Christmas or Thanksgiving or any sort of like holiday here on Earth, but it's it's Life Day. It's the big thing, and he is trying to get home to his family, his father, his mu- his wife, and his son Lumpy. <laughs> They're yes, on their way. Yes, they all have. Yeah. Uh, apart from apart from Mrs. Chewbacca, Mala, the other <laughs> two have names that seem to be takes on the Chewy right, nickname. Right. They're they're lumpy and itchy. Uh, <laughs> it's weird, and as you mentioned, Lucas said, "Yeah, the the framing device for this whole variety special is going to be this family of Wookies that, again, do not look human and do not speak our language." 
and yet we spend a whole lot of time watching them. And I think this was just a major misunderstanding of the property because I'm sure people leaving the theater in 1977 loved Chewbacca. I love Chewbacca. Oh, Everybody loves Chewbacca. Absolutely. Because he's the family pet. He's the lovable, you know, like teddy bear that you just, you want to wrap your arms around him and everything. But he's not a star. He's not a leading man. You don't build a story with all of this like family drama around that character. He's not, that's not what he's used for. As much as I love all of the alien species and the different weird creatures and the droids within the Star Wars universe, they're there to give flavor and to enhance the story. The star, the main characters have always got to be human because that's what we see and that's what we relate to. And I feel like they just they didn't understand that for this special because that's not what they did. I was going to say, well, it's the Wookiee holiday special, but it's not. It's just <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. So, so that takes us to the second major scene, which becomes our returning set piece that we always kind of come back to, which is Chewbacca's homestead, this house built into the trees on Kashyyyk slash Kazook. We see his family, his wife Mala, his son Lumpy, his father Itchy. What did you think of these sequences? First of all, let's talk about the Wookiees themselves. Mm-hmm. Lumpy is kind of creepy in his cutesiness. <laughs> they've, they've tried to give him kind of little kid puffy cheeks, and he kind of... Uh, oh, what is his name? Why am I not thinking of his name? Uh, Rainbow Connection, uh, uh, Love Boat Appearances, The Penguin on Batman, the animated series, uh, Paul... Uh, um, not Paul the, Allen. Paul Williams. Paul Williams. Paul Williams. He kind of looks... He always reminds me of Paul Williams, okay. which is kind of unfair to Paul Williams, but he reminds me of like a furry Paul Williams. <laughs> uh, maybe it's the haircut, too. Itchy. I like... I, I kind of dig the caricature-ish sculpt on Itchy's lower jaw. His weirdly pronounced underbite that mm-hmm. looks like maybe he lost all of his upper teeth yeah, due to yeah. old age or something. His his comb over is 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 epic. <laughs> He's sort of like the Archie Bunker of Wookies, I think. Maybe that's what they're going for. He spends most of his time in that chair, and then Mala, who just looks kind of like a slightly female Chewbacca. She's got a really pronounced muzzle too. Yeah, like her her face really kind of juts out pretty predominantly. Part of the thing about those Wookiees is they're made on a budget that is not the Star Wars budget. They don't look bad. They could look better. They were made by Stan Winston. Mm -hmm. I don't think he puts it on his resume. (laughs) Uh, But they are clearly made of nylon instead of yak fur. They don't have that wonderful, fuzzy, layered, tactile sort of thing that Chewbacca has going on that makes it look so real unless you get a like super good look at his feet or something. And they seem to be made out of like when they walk, I don't know if you noticed this when you were watching it, when they walk, you know, Wookiees have that kind of longer fur is that t- from the knees down. Mm-hmm. So that they have this kind of a almost a, a bell bottom flared trouser look to their to their lower legs. If you watch the Wookiees on the holiday special, when they walk, their hair flops up and down like a dog's ear, <laughs> which which says to me it's like, you know, wig hair, and it's not layered. It's, you know, there's there's like maybe a layer of fur, and then a longer layer just draped over top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that's nitpicky. Sorry. I, I, as I said, I've seen it a few times. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> I really like the sort of painted uh, establishing shot of the outside. Oh, 
Well, that, it's a Ralph McQuarrie concept. Exactly, sketch. exactly. And I think that's a great way to set it up. It's, it's a little bit of a bait and switch. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, oh yeah, that looks really cool. And then you get inside and it's like, oh, oh boy. And I, I, I like their furniture. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to debate that. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, as you point out, this is the point where your dad turned it off because five minutes into it, and it's just mm-hmm. like these Wookiees just gar- like barking and growling at each other, and you're like, okay, I kind of get a, the impression of what they're doing, but who thought this would be good and entertaining for people to just watch this stuff? And it, apparently George it, Lucas did, but... You know, it relies on them miming, mm-hmm. and they're not terribly good mimes. No, and I don't know what kind of... how how good they were performing in those costumes, how well they could see. Yeah. They, they can't just, give you facial expressions at all. Right, and they're lumbering around very slowly and awkwardly, and then we get like this like weird dance number like this holographic you know like uh it's it's part oh. dance part Cirque du Soleil yeah I was gonna say it's like some sort of horrible Cirque du Soleil um right but thing. it but it's like we're gonna make them weird colors and give them like weird like kind of costumes and masks because they're supposed to be aliens and it's kind of like Star Wars and yeah I like I look and- down at the counter I was like okay it's been 10 minutes and I'm not convinced the people who made this actually ever saw Star Wars. <laughs> right. Well, and that, that whole sequence, oh my gosh, I, I don't know, did you time how long that part goes on? Because it feels like forever. It would be one thing if he was just watching it, you know, in the background, you know, and they come back to him as something else is going on. But no, you know, they sit down like, this is the main event. Yeah, I, I clocked it. There's, at, at some point, it's, it's about 10 minutes either while that is going on or as that thing is ending. And I remarked that we've basically, we we had the teaser with Han and Chewie in the Falcon. That was about mm-hmm. a minute, maybe not even a minute long. And then we get like the opening credits with like every, like the announcer listing all of the cast and characters. And then it's about eight or nine minutes with no real dialogue or, or language that we understand. Just these Wookiee growls and then this silent, not silent, but non-vocal musical number and, and circus <laughs> acrobats and everything. And it's just... It, and even when they're not on, that music is... The, the music is the same. The music they perform to is very similar to the incidental music throughout. Mm-hmm. This kind of an irritating 70s electronica... And just now. <laughs> and then the cooking show. Yeah, we get to that. Before then, though, we actually get a Luke Skywalker beat. Um, oh, yes. They, they communicate with Luke Skywalker via like a, a video communications. He is with R2-D2, who was, which was famously not played by Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker was the only one of the original actors, I mean, other than like Alec Guinness and, and Peter Cushing, um, mm-hmm. who, who wasn't in this because they just all of R2-D2 stuff was just done by remote control. But we get Mark Hamill with a very different haircut. Yes, <laughs> very, yes. Like short hair and woo bad TV makeup. Um, he uh, he was, uh, I believe, filming the Big Red One at the time, so he had okay. had his haircut short to be a soldier in World War Two. You know, if they'd gotten him during Corvette Summer, it would have been <laughs> fine. But yeah. but yeah, I think that's why his hair is so very very different than it would be in any of the Star Wars films. He's looking. He's basically speaking to the camera. He's either mm-hmm. interacting with R two D two or he's speaking directly to the camera as if he's talking to the Wookies. 
Yes. And watching that and just feeling like how cringeworthy, like bad this is, and then realizing what a real accomplishment those scenes in The Empire Strikes Back were, and what Larry <laughs> Kasdan was able to do with the script and what Kirshner did with the directing, the fact that they could have Mark Hamill almost alone in a lot of those scenes, either interacting with a puppet or with you know R2, either by remote or with Baker inside it, mm-hmm. and just still managing to capture a real strong performance from him when he's virtually alone, and you compare that to the almost the same type of circumstance in this one, and it's they could not be further apart. I, I will say that Mark Hamill, despite the fact that it's not working, he's working. It's not his best work. It, it's but. not, but the, I mean, he's still, there's an earnestness, and I, that was the one thing I got to say, I was, like, looking at this, I was like, the fact that these actors came in for this, they looked like they were committed. They had mm-hmm. crappy material to work with, but he's he's going for it, he looks like he's having fun, and he's. the part of me that just loves Star Wars and that gets a kick out of the nostalgia factor, seeing him in the X-Wing fighter pilot outfit again, just in that little thing, I was like, oh, I like that, that feels like Star Wars a little bit. It, he is Luke Skywalker for that for that brief period of time. There. That ought to hold it, I think. What's up? It's Chewbacca. Yeah, we'll bring him to the screen. I want to say hello to him. You, you don't know where he is? Oh, he's not there yet. Is that it? can tell you is that uh, he and Han left here on schedule. If he's not there now, they're way overdue. Gee, there must have been trouble. R2, please, this is important. Now, now listen, calm down. I mean, you know how Han and Chewbacca are. Anything could have happened. They could have, they could have stopped off somewhere or been held up by an asteroid storm. Listen. I wouldn't worry about Chewbacca. I know him, and he hasn't missed a life day yet, right? <laughs> well, there you go. He's not going to miss this one either. It's just taking him a little bit longer to get there, that's all. He'll make it. Come on, don't look so worried. Now, Chewie's not going to want to come home to a house full of long faces, is he? Come on, Mala, let's see a little smile. Come on. And then we get this other sequence where we have Art Carney playing this junk like utility trader or something named Son Dan. He's got his own mm-hmm. little specialty shop. And an Imperial officer goes to check his shop, mm-hmm. ostensibly looking for something. But it's a really weird scene because the officer hardly speaks, and his like lines are like one or two words, and they always cut away from his face when he gives a line. Like... They like I think like all of his dialogue is dubbed. Like the actor that they put on camera is not the same guy who's speaking, and I can't figure out why. Like or what well, the point of that was. Here's the crazy thing: I, like yourself, assumed that he was dubbed because of that same thing. He's never looking directly. At, he's never like his mouth is never in sight when he speaks, and he has a very stentorian delivery, mm-hmm. like menacing voice. That guy, that is his voice. I could not find it. I was looking for it. I read an interview with him okay. uh, last year, and uh, he talked about it. He talked about the shooting and how they had gone to like a big church to rehearse for the, for the, <laughs> for the filming because they couldn't get a hold of rehearsal space over at Warner's where they were shooting, and that he had uh, he made them a little angry when he refused to shave his mustache. Okay. <laughs> 
But no, that really was his voice. So it's it's almost inexplicable why everything seems to cut away from him every time he talks. And and when they do show him, it doesn't look like he's reacting correctly. Like it looks – that whole scene feels like it was chopped up and rearranged like – Maybe it was supposed to be longer and they cut a bunch of stuff, or maybe like they almost changed the dialogue almost completely. I think part of it is, if I remember right, he was talking about he, he was very excited to work with Art Carney, but he didn't get any rehearsal time with mm. Art Carney. And I suspect, if I'm not remembering it right, I do suspect Carney probably was ad living a lot. Mm hmm. You know, because Carney came from live TV, and uh, and I, I I suspect maybe he just couldn't keep up with him outside of sticking to his vicious bully dialogue. But yeah, no, it is it, it that is a really odd segment. The idea is supposed to be Carney riffing on this kind of like used car salesman sort of approach to everything, and the other guy's supposed to play the straight man, but it's just like Carney's just doing this, and the other guy's doing a scene from a different show. Yeah, and all it really does is set up this character, Sundan, or Carney's character, who is going to come back and be. I mean, you might might even say he's like one of the main characters of this special because he ends up, he yeah he ends up like being the voice for the Wookies and sort of speaking up for them and defending them. But it comes like uh, the halfway point and probably should have come a lot earlier. Anyway, yeah. Moving on, then we get the scene that you've been talking about, the Chef Gormanda or whatever it is. One of uh, Harvey Corman's numerous roles is this robot chef, this Julia Child parody. He's got three or four arms, and why does this happen? I don't know, and it's so – it feels very much like some sort of leftover from something he would have done on Carol Burnett. And it's really weird that they've got him, his makeup and his like wig and everything. He's got this kind of a 19th century grandma thing going on with like – the leg of mutton sleeves and the, the the apron and the big crazy like the big high piled up hairdo and the little glasses and it's so not Star Wars in any way you know apart from the fact that he's a space creature with extra arms and what is that like cooking with bantha or something They're yeah yeah like, yeah like a bantha rump ro- rump roast or something <laughs> I you know and 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 there's a lot of bantha mm-hmm. references I don't know. Um, you know, is that is is that canon that that Bantha are widely distributed throughout the galaxy as a commercial? Um, you know, she's she's cooking a Bantha. Lumpy's got a toy Bantha. There's a lot of Banthas. Something that they could market, I guess. But... I guess. So after that weird one, we get another weird one when Sundan actually comes to you know the the household, the Wookiee homestead. And gives Itchy, again, like, little video, like, virtual reality thing that he can, like, mm-hmm. watch. And we get this weird, dirty grandpa bit where he watches this Diana Carroll, or Diane Carroll video, and she comes across, like, a virtual phone sex operator. Absolutely. And she, she sings a song. The, the song in isolation is fine. It's kind of cool. There's actually, like, an opening, like, visual number that goes along with it. It reminds me a lot of a James Bond opening theme, and it wouldn't surprise me at all <laughs> if that was the inspiration for it, if they were trying right. to do something like that, because it, it, the song sounds like it could be a James Bond theme. The visuals around her, the sort of psychedelic thing, looks like something out of a James Bond theme. But at first, she's seducing this old Wookiee grandpa 
what, what, who, who the hell is the audience for this? I don't get that whole segment. It, it is, it is, there's so many weird, okay, first of all, really? <laughs> this is, this is your pitch for the Star Wars holiday special is going to be some sort of virtual sex helmet <laughs> for grandpa for life day. Hang on, I'm putting that on my Christmas list, virtual sex helmet. Virtual sex helmet. That's the name of my uh, of my uh, uh, Jefferson Starship cover band. Um, and and not to be not to come out. Look, I, I don't want to sound like a speciesist, but is Diane Carroll hot? If you're a Wookiee, I, I I just have to question this. You know, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. I know, mean, no, no offense to Ms. Carroll. I I oh, well here here would be my one counter to that. Um, and I don't know what it says about Wookiees, but. Jabba the Hutt had a certain type of slave dancer that he liked. Um, <laughs> also weird, but yes, sure, you're yeah. right. We have we have we have an, we have uh, precedent. Yeah, so, well, it's not precedent right. yet. But. So maybe maybe across the galaxy, doesn't matter what species you are. If you're twentieth century uh, Western uh, Earth, uh, Western Hemisphere Earth norm, you're you're just hot no matter where you are. There you go. We can have a good time. I'll tell you a secret. I find you adorable. I'll tell you a secret. I find you adorable. I find you adorable. I find you adorable. I don't need to ask how you find me. You see, I am your fantasy. I am your experience. I am so experience me. So experience. I am your pleasure. This is our moment together in time. That we might turn this moment into an eternity. From that number, we go to another musical number, which is we get Jefferson's Starship. Oh, God. This, doing a song that's officially, the song is called Light the Sky on Fire, but there's like a line in it, something that they keep coming back to, like cigar-shaped, yeah, cigar-shaped object or something like that is, is like a word that mm-hmm. keeps coming back, and I'm like, cigar-shaped object? Is this another sex song? Is this another weird book? <laughs> what the hell? But The Jefferson Starship are dreadful in that too. Uh, you know, I mean, I, that is, you, they didn't have anything better than this number. That thing just goes on and on and on forever. 
I assume that uh, it would be a lot more interesting if you had, say, dropped acid before that started. <laughs> but it's just like just this boring, boring, you know, look, the music's not that good, guys. You, you don't have to keep it going. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, it's not as terrible as like, you know, late 1980s, early 1990s Starship, but it's... No, it really is. It's awful. It's just awful. But the word Starship sounds vaguely Star Wars-y, so yeah, yes. we'll put them in there. So. I, I have absolutely no doubt that that is why they were booked. Yeah. Somebody said, we got to get Jefferson's Starship. Get it? It's Star Wars. <laughs> oh, it's so great that we can write this show while we're on cocaine. <laughs> Oh man, it it couldn't have been, and we'll we'll get to Princess Leia's segment in a few. But there had to be just just mountains of Peruvian marching powder in that story meeting, <laughs> and that leads us to arguably the one piece of the whole special that holds up still pretty well, I think, which is the animated segments. Absolutely. Uh, where we get this little mini cartoon, you could almost call it like a pilot for Star Wars droids or something like that. Mm-hmm. The animation is a little bit wonky, it's a little bit cheap, we get a lot of rubbery like uh, animation on the droids. Like mm-hmm. C-3PO and R2-D2, boy, they bend in a lot of places that they shouldn't be able to bend if they're made of metal. Yep. Um, yep. But other than that, it's a cool little story. We see that the Millennium Falcon is in trouble, Luke goes off to chase them in a Y-wing for some reason, instead of his usual X-wing, flies down to this planet, it's like a red ocean world, where they meet Boba Fett. And yes. I love his introduction, I love him riding on this Loch Ness monster type of creature. And it's one yep. of those things where, like, I liked seeing the stormtroopers riding the dewbacks. I liked the sand people on the banthas, I liked mm-hmm. Han and Luke on Tauntauns, that was one of those aspects of Star Wars that you know, as much as I love the ships, those are so great, there is that sort of fantasy element of these domesticated animals. They're not like horses, but they're sort of, they're alien, but they've been domesticated, and it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. There's that fantasy element of it that I love. Oh, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely one of the elements kept over from Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's that, come on, they use, they use lightsabers. It's, right. it's, it's, it's the idea that, that, yes, regardless of the fact they have laser guns, they're still uh, riding around on uh, you know, horses or, or some equivalent. And, and, and it, but it is great. And, and, and there's something about that. And now that, was, that cartoon was produced by Nelvana of Canada, uh-huh. who did go on to do droids and Ewoks. Yep. Yep. But Nelvana, you know, there's something I, you know, Canada is always a little more in touch with Europe than the U.S. And there's something about that design that almost feels like uh, French or Franco-Belgian comics from the 70s. It reminds me of something that you would see like reprinted in heavy metal. Yeah. And the idea of Boba Fett coming in riding on that giant lizard with that big horn and and that weird staff just seems very heavy metal. Yeah, and that cut that palette and that, that line weight, yeah. R2, stand by to fire the injection pod. And how do you know to or will be dessert soon? Thank you. You are alone. 
I have two droids. We've come in search of a ship that crashed near here. Maybe I can help you. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Are the Imperial troops near this planet? They are here, friend, and growing more powerful. How far away? Settle down. <laughs> all they do is eat. This is all we have, but uh, he's welcome to it. You are foolish to waste your kindness on this dumb creature. No lower life form is worth going hungry for. And I take it you have no love of the Empire. I don't. Well, neither do I. It will be easy to find the ship you seek. Follow me, friend. Don't you think it might be imprudent to trust him so quickly, sir? He's our only chance. And besides, he seems like a friend. Indeed. Friend is merely a term that is often misused. I love that look. I love that style. I wish we'd gotten more with that. And on Dead Bottom Spies, when I did my droids anniversary special, like that was mm-hmm. one of the things. I, just, I wish we could have actually gotten more animation like this with the actual cast of Star Wars. And right. if you couldn't get the actors again, like we should have gotten like the further adventures of Luke Skywalker as an animated series. And, mm-hmm. Like either set it between the movies, you know, adapt the Marvel comics or something, or tell you know what happened to him after Return of the Jedi. I think you know now that they're continuing the movies with you know the Force Awakens and going further. I hope eventually they've done Clone Wars, they've done Rebels. I hope we actually get those interstitial adventures, and I think <laughs> it would be great to see those as animation. And I'd love to go. I'd love for them to go a little bit more retro. Part of me, part of me, always hopes that uh, some of the cast, some of the uh, characters from Droids will. Uh, will end up being incorporated into Rebels, but uh, so far, no luck. I'd, I'd love to see, like, Fall Jobin and George Dusat. That would be awesome. Like, in an episode of Rebels. Um, I just decided, if I ever go to, like, a Star Wars convention, I'm going to p- cosplay as one of those guys. <laughs> I love the, um, you know what, one of my favorite things about the cartoon, and, and, and it is, it's a pretty darn good cartoon. One of my favorite things about it is <laughs> the weird stylization. They're take on Han Solo, their caricature of Harrison Ford kills me every time. He's just a nose and a squint. (laughs) I have a feeling they were were actually talking to Harrison Ford about that and he just could not contain his displeasure being there and they just (laughs) rendered that, rendered his attitude into a facial expression. I'm going to be a cartoon now. Yeah. Yeah. So after the animated segment, we get another bit with Harvey Corman. This time, Lumpy is building like a translation device with an instructional video, and Harvey Corman is playing a robot, but he doesn't look like a droid. We only know that he's a robot because he has these sort of malfunctioning ticks and glitches that just mm-hmm. give him an excuse to kind of do these weird hand gestures and like ticks and repeats and everything like that. And and it was at that point where I was like watching this, I was like, wow, everything that Harvey Corman touches in this thing is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, it is, it is. And and his, uh, his you know, I mean, it, first of all, that's such a hack bit, the the whole like, you get, right. but then the framework for the gag is this kind of a, oh, aren't the instructions for home electronics terrible? <laughs> Are you? Am I right, folks? You know what I'm talking about. I put together my hi-fi. Oh, you know, it's just—it's like so unrelatable. I, I don't think it was all that relatable in 1978. It certainly doesn't hold up now. <laughs> it was just—it it, is—it is a terrible, terrible bit. Forgive me, Harvey Corman. You were fantastic in Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. This was awful. Um, actually, there is one segment with Harvey Corman that Harvey Corman does not ruin. 
And I was going to get to that next, because after that we get this little announcement that the Empire is cracking down on the planet Tatooine, which gives us an excuse to segue to... It's supposed to invoke the Mos Eisley Cantina from Star Wars. It's not, it's not the same one. It's not the same set. It's not the same cast, but it's, it's definitely meant to be that. We get our scene at a bar in Cantina with B. Arthur playing Akmina, the bartender. And this sequence, I will not say it is the best sequence, but I think it is my favorite part of the special. And it probably owes everything to how much I love the actual Mos Eisley Cantina in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of this alien bar and all these recognizable. They got a lot of the same costumes, a lot of the same masks, and mm-hmm. they just kind of pep- populated this little bar. And she goes around, and we have Harvey V. Corman coming in as this like lovelorn guy like who thinks that she really cares about him because she told him to get home safe one day. And she ends up doing like this whole song and dance number at the end to like say goodnight to everybody as she's closing up the shop. It's cheesy, but for me, I'm just like, yeah, I'll watch that again. I'll watch that on YouTube just sort of in isolation because I like seeing those creatures in the bar. Time now for Life on Tatooine, brought to viewers everywhere in the hope that our own lives may be uplifted by the comparison and enriched with the gratitude of relief. This transmission is unrehearsed and unedited and is hereby begun without further comment as to its lack of moral value. Well, first of all, um, just to back it up a tiny bit, the establishing shots for that, uh, you get to see some outtakes from Star Wars, yes, which are fantastic. We, we do actually, we get some archives, yeah. Stuff that uh, that made, that didn't make it into the final cut of the film gets used in that, which mm-hmm. is which is great because then you have very legitimate feeling establishing material, but it's not just the same thing you saw. Like you know, we haven't addressed this, but James Earl Jones, of course, voices Darth Vader. Darth Vader appears two or three times in this thing, but it's always just clips of him on the Death Star walking around with right. new vocals dubbed over. And this was actually fresh stuff, which is cool. But I think that apart from the nostalgia and the fact that it is. You you know, hey, the cantina. You love the cantina, right? <laughs> it is actually one of the better realized segments in the whole thing. And it does feel legit because they did get those. Ma- did, am I wrong? Did they borrow most of those masks in Star Wars from Rick Baker? I keep thinking that's right. Somebody made them. And they were like things that were already made that he had already not everything, but were, most I mean, of like the Wolfman mask and right. all that stuff were there things were, that he some, already had. Yeah, some of them I knew they they had already had or like they they required very little modification. Right. Um, so yeah, that that sounds right. Like the Wolfman mask, the Deveronian, like the Devil Horned one. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it, curiously, those are the ones that Lucas tried to uh, replace digitally in the movie. Just right. He, <laughs> but, but yeah, they're, they're just something you always remember because it's like, why? You know, all these things. And that was such a cultural touchstone. That scene gets imitated in almost any Star Wars knockoff from the time. They've got to find a way to like get a scene with a whole bunch of crazy creatures in it. <laughs> Even Star Trek The Motion Picture like has uh, the scene where Captain Kirk addresses everybody. They, they cram as many makeup effect aliens into that shot as they can. 
you won't see them again in the movie, but they're all there for like just that one scene. Well, also some um, of the other Star Wars movies. <laughs> yes, well, of course. Return of Jabba's um, Palace tried to try to get the same thing. The Maz um, Kanata's yes. bar in The Force Awakens. Have you seen? If this is contemporary to this. Have you seen the Richard Pryor yes. show with the yes? And I love uh, it. It's one of my. And that things. is bizarre. That is bizarre. They rented. They rented the masks. They rented the costumes. Some of the costumes came from a different costume house because there's a lot of people wearing Star Wars Cantina creature masks and surplus Planet of the Apes outfits. <laughs> But that is a really bizarre thing to see. If you guys listen to this and have not seen it, you got to like YouTube Richard Pryor Star Wars yeah. and see. It's just an everyday like local bar set, but <laughs> they've got all the Star Wars creatures in it. But no, I think you're right. That part is working pretty well. And, and you, you look at it and you go, be Arthur, Star Wars. But it actually, <laughs> sadly and, enough, is one of the high points of the, <laughs> the and, holiday special. And I'm still pretty sure she is Ray's grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Harvey Corman, you know, this brings up something. You know, I talked earlier about it being like a fever dream. Yeah. Because, like I said, it only aired the once. And, you know, you're just left with your memory. And I didn't even get to see the whole thing. I had a friend who I showed the holiday special after I'd gotten my bootleg. And I was delighted when he burst out with, that's what that is. When uh, B. Arthur playing Achmina, and uh, I, I'm really just doing that for your benefit. Frankly, as far as I'm concerned, they're always Art, Art Carney, B. Arthur, and, and Harvey Carmen. Right, like, right. They don't have real Star Wars names. Sure. But <laughs> it's like Walrus Man, B. Arthur. Anyway, when he pours that drink into his head. Yes. And my friend Rob was just like, wait, what? Ah. Oh. I, for years, I thought that happened in Star Wars, or, or I'd imagined it, or I couldn't find figure out why it wasn't in Star Wars when I'd watched Star Wars. And, and so that, like, blew his mind. His, his mystery was solved. It was in the holiday special. Yeah, he's got the, the was, hole in the top of his hair that she pours the, the drink into. Yeah, It looks like a science fair volcano covered in hair, yeah. <laughs> so after that point, we finally get to the moment where Han Solo and Chewbacca arrive on Kashyyyk slash Kazook. It starts off with a dramatic moment where a stormtrooper is chasing Chewie's son out onto the balcony, and then he ends up tripping over something and falling over the edge. Then we get Han going into Chewie's home and saying hi, and and how they convinced Harrison Ford to do this. I will never know. But the one thing I will say is, you know, and and more credit to his performance, is the scenes with the Wookiees. And again, we've talked about how they probably couldn't see the the costumes Mm -hmm. Are, are pretty cheap. They don't look very good. How limited they must be. Like, all of those Wookiee scenes just felt very slow, like, torturously slow. And even the scenes with, you know, Art Carney, like, interacting with them just felt like kind of get to it. When Han starts talking in those scenes, it's cringeworthy dialogue, but you see that he cannot wait to get out of there. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to cruise through this dialogue, and we're going to get to the point. But to his credit, his interaction with Lumpy is is surprisingly genuine. He picks the kid up. He picks the kid up like his, you know, like his uncle. Yeah. That's... He's like, hey, you know, how you doing, buddy? He's 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 like happy to see Lumpy. 
happier than you are, I'm pretty sure. Sure. But I thought that was actually like kind of sweet and genuine and, and added a little weight to this absurd situation. We should, I'm sorry, we, we should go back just a tiny hair, though, because the Imperial Stormtroopers, when Han and Chewie arrive, the Imperial Stormtroopers are there menacing the Wookiees because they are looking for a transmission device, which they actually have. Uh, because they're angry because they're they're certain that they've been in contact with the Rebel Alliance. And they have been. And in addition to that, as they search the house, the stormtroopers are just dicks. <laughs> they they yes. break Lumpy's toy. They rip the head off of Lumpy's Bantha toy. And that's the other thing. Looking like, for a transmitter. Right, and we know that the Empire are the bad guys, but it's, again, the, we have this whole fascistic military operation like imposing on this family holiday special mm-hmm. with them like kind of going through and their tinges of they're acting like Nazis kind of like and there's like a racial overtone because like the Wookiees aren't human and everything and it's just again mm-hmm. I kept asking I was like who is this show for what am I supposed to be feeling right now this is really weird well, it's very confusing because, in a way, it's kind of some of the most Star Warsy material, mm-hmm. but, but it doesn't fit this weird '70s variety show at all. No, no, it's creepy. And then, and then, the, what might have been even creepier than that is once Chewie comes back and he and Mala have this moment where they almost kiss. Mm-hmm. But it's like their muzzles are just kind of like getting close to each other, but they can't open their mouths to actually like like <laughs> replicate what a kiss would look like. And her muzzle like is like so much larger that it's just it's just a weird moment seeing them. Like I got I, like I don't do this, but I kind of looked at that and kind of like turned my head to the side. I'm like this is kind of gross. Like I don't want to see these two make out. Like this, this feels unnatural. <laughs> And <laughs> that shouldn't. So it's the kiss that should not be. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then after that moment, we finally we come to our finale, where we get our heroes back together. We got Princess Leia, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and the droids, and all of these Wookies in ceremonial robes celebrating Life Day, and we get the Star Wars music, <laughs> and Leia starts to sing a song to the Star Wars music, except the melody that she is singing to does not match the melody of the 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 John Williams music. Nope. It's like... Oh, and then and then and, and also we get a visual reprise of everything that happened in Star Wars, which breaks the cardinal rule of don't show a better film in your film. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was like that was what I was like watching at the end. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, are they trying to remind us what this was about? Like, hey, remember all of those things that you loved about Star Wars? We're sorry that you had to sit through this, but remember how good Star Wars was? It's like. Did you just give us the middle finger by showing us what we missed? That's so funny. Yes, Artu. It is indeed true that at times like this, Artu and I wish that we were more than just mechanical beings. And we're really alive, so that we could share your feelings with you. Chewbacca! Chewbacca, we were so relieved to hear you were all right. All of you are an important part of my life, pal. I'm glad I could be here. This holiday is yours. But we all share with you the hope that this day brings us closer to freedom and to harmony and to peace. No matter how different we appear, we're all the same in our struggle against the powers of evil and darkness. 
I hope that this day will always be a day of joy in which we can reconfirm our dedication and our courage, and more than anything else, our love for one another. This is the promise of the Tree of Life. There's, okay, there's a couple of great things about that. And that is actually one of my favorite segments. Uh, apparently, okay, apparently what I was reading is they got to the part where they were going to have to start shooting the, the finale, and their budget was so gone, they couldn't build a set. There was no money to, like, design and decorate the Life Day set for this big ceremony. So all they could think of to do was... They did a lot of green, uh, blue screen, not green screen at the time, blue screen. Mm-hmm. But they also uh, went out and bought every candle they could get their hands on to try to make it look mystical and and you know quasi religious like ceremony kind of thing, which which I think is hysterical. The other thing that cracks me up is that Chewbacca, you know, Chewbacca dons that robe, and Chewbacca dons that robe so that you won't think anything about all of the Wookiee extras who are wearing choir robes. Because it's cheaper than making more Wookiee suits. <laughs> They're like Don Post Chewbacca masks and choir robes <laughs> to make a crowd of Wookiees. Yep. And can I just say that set is pretty well lit. It's got candles everywhere. It's got studio lighting shining on the principal actors. And no matter how much light there is in that room... Carrie Fisher's eye, her pupils are the size of the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) That woman is stoned out of her ever-loving mind in that sequence. And God bless her, she had the right idea. (laughs) We should be so lucky watching it. (laughs) She, uh, oh man... That is, like, probably at the height. Well, I don't know if it's at the height, but it's certainly, like, during her uh, Just Say Yes era. God, that, that, okay, there's some weird subtext to that. You know, you were talking about, like, the fascistic stomping on the Wookiees, treating them as, as second-class citizens because they're, you know, not human, mm-hmm. all that. And then we finish that up with, here, come the, here comes the Rebel Alliance leadership. Did anybody invite Princess Leia to Life Day? I don't remember that happening. 
She not only shows up for Life Day, she takes over. Did somebody ask her to sing the Life Day song in Galactic Standard or English or whatever? <laughs> um, you know, she just seems like like a really like obnoxious party guest. Like, she knows what's best for you. Here she is to sing your song. It's Princess Leia. And a big pile of Coke. <laughs> and again, like I got to this part, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> she's singing a song to the Star Wars thing. I was like, oh, maybe I can incorporate this into the podcast. I was like, wait, I can't, because these don't meet. I was like, what music was she singing to on set? Because this doesn't go with the theme. <laughs> uh, so, and then, the, I mean, we get this final closing shot of the family just sitting around a table, and they seem to put their heads down and go to sleep as if they all just drank, like, drank some cult Kool-Aid. They seem to like all fall asleep in their chairs and the lights go out. Um... <laughs> And as soon as the lights are out, uh, Grandpa Itchy pulls that headpiece down. <laughs> Goes back to his Diane Carroll fantasy. That's right. <sighs> Again, would that we were all that smart. Um, <laughs> getting back to my question from earlier, like, is this defensible? Like, it's a weird thing where I think if you're a Star Wars fan, you should watch this. Mo- you should watch this special. Yes. I don't recommend it. I don't no. think anybody. I can't imagine anybody actually liking it. It's it's not for lightweights. Even small children who have just discovered the joy of Star Wars mm-hmm. will walk out about fifteen minutes in. Right. It's, I can tell you that from from experience. It's just sort of one of those things where you you kind of have to see the dark underbelly of something to just kind of have that context to to really know how lucky you are. <laughs> just <saying. laughs> um, there are moments of it when I, when I watched it when I kind of just forgot or my brain shut off and I was just kind of like, oh yeah that that person sort of looks like they were dressed in Star Wars costumes and it's okay, it's, it still feels like a high school play of Star Wars, but there are a few. There are a few things. Well, yes, there. There. Oh, you know, I, I talked about the Wookiee costumes being a little wonky. Mm-hmm. The Imperials, they couldn't just get a hold of some uniforms. Their their uniforms are okay, except they look like somebody's mom made them for them from like a Butterick pattern and like took a shortcut. <laughs> they've got a they've got a seam down the middle in the front. There's like instead of being just a a, a bib across the front. That bib is bisected by, like, a seam for a zipper or snaps or something. So they're not right. Boy, that's nitpicky. I am such a nerd. But they're, like, not quite right. They're, they're, they're like, somebody's makeshift version of an Imperial uniform. There, there are some, there's some, okay, I, I, I want to I go down, can I defend it? No, I can't defend it. If you grew up with Star Wars, if, you, if you're a huge Star Wars fan, you should probably see it just to see it. If you grew up with Star Wars, you may have nostalgia for it. Nostalgia carries it a long way for me. That's why I still watch it. Sure. Maybe once a year. Um, that and it's one of those things, kind of like the movie Troll Two, where <laughs> you, it's it, the joy of, of seeing oh. it or owning it is making someone else watch it. And see that that is the approach. Like I think if you're going to watch this, you don't watch this alone. Like I. Oh do. God, no. Because you just why get would you watch it by yourself? No, watch this Dude. with somebody. Like. Make a drinking game of it, or you know, you could be healthier we, and, and more safe than that. But just now, you gotta go into this expecting. We should have worked this out. What we should have done, Ryan, and maybe we could do this next year when November rolls around. When November rolls around, we'll do a commentary. You and I will sit down and watch this together 
and discuss it, and we can release it as a commentary you can queue up and watch with, like, the YouTube version of this. See, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I applaud your effort to get me to watch this a third time, but I don't think that is going to happen. What I will oh, say, you say is, that now. Yeah. you say that now. By the time by the time November rolls around next year, you'll, it'll sound like a better idea. I'll be so hard up for ideas. We've talked about everything with Star Wars. No, I, I would I would recommend people, regardless of your thoughts on this or whether, go back find you can just you can find the little scenes on YouTube. Find the the bar scene with. B. Arthur, find the Boba Fett animated segment, find Richard Pryor's Star Wars bar segment, because that's better. <laughs> um, that's, that's like my third favorite Star Wars bit of like movies. After, after the first two movies, it's the Richard Pryor thing, and then Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Well, I also like the uh, Burger Chef and Burger King Star Wars commercials <laughs> and the, uh, the R2-D2 Don't Smoke PSA. <laughs> That is fantastic. Oh, and the immunization one too. Um, I, I would like to tie. I would like to point out. Uh, we didn't. We didn't mention it. Lumpy has Star Wars toys. How cool is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not Kenner. You know, his grandpa carved them out of wood, but he has Star Wars toys. Everybody had Star Wars toys back then. <laughs> they, That's right. They knew. They knew what a good thing they had. They knew what was popular. He couldn't wait for his early bird package to arrive, <laughs> so true. Itchy carved him an X-Wing out of a lump of wood. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, at that point, we should probably start wrapping it up. Final thoughts, last impressions of the Star Wars Holiday Special before we go? Oh, just that it was a good thing that I finally obtained it when I did because... It was the fulfillment of, oh, 15 years of wondering what I had missed. And, uh, and, and you know, there's actually something nice about – you would think it would be disappointing, but it's kind of nice to, once you get to see something that you thought you missed out on, knowing you didn't miss out on all that much, <laughs> it, it, it helps you move on. I'm going to paraphrase – a Chevy Chase line from the movie Fletch Lives, you haven't lived until you've seen the Star Wars Holiday Special. And after that, you don't want to. <laughs> All right, Aaron, that is going to do it for our review of the Star Wars Holiday Special. But before you go, you must answer the Galactic Questionnaire. Now, okay. you've already done this once, which means you get the version 2.0 questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Question one, Kylo Ren's lightsaber or Darth Maul's lightsaber? Ooh, um, I'm going to go with Kylo Ren. I think I, think I prefer the one-hander. Right. Question two, X-Wing fighter or TIE fighter? Oh, X-Wing. Question three, a better sidekick for Lando, Lobot or Nian Num? Oh, yeah, Nian Num. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, number four. You're going away for a while, and you decide to Airbnb your home. Who do you rent to? Jar Jar Binks or a family of Jawas? Ooh. Jar Jar would break everything, but the Jawas would smell it up and steal everything. I'm going with the Jawas. (laughs) Question five. Would you rather spend a year working on Uncle Owen's farm or one night dancing for Jabba the Hutt? The pay is the same. Hmm. 
I'm going to go with Uncle Owen. Yeah, playing it safe? Playing it safe. Or are you just like farming dirt? No, I, I, I don't want to end up in a rancor pit. Right. I'm not a good dancer. Number six, you're piloting a rebel snowspeeder. Which podcaster do you want as your tail gunner? I don't know. Uh, Rob Kelly feels like he can take on the whole empire. <laughs> uh, Look what happened to the last guy who said that. I know, I know. And for that reason, I'm going to pick Shag. <laughs> All right, final question. What's the first thing Luke says to Rey after the end of The Force Awakens? <clears throat> you know, there was a hand with that. <laughs> All right. Aaron, thank you very much for being my guest on another episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Where can people find you online if they need to look out for you? Oh, uh, you'll never see me coming. No, um, I, you just find me knocking around Facebook these days. I don't have anything going on at the moment. Uh, I, I've toyed with resurrecting a blog or, or, uh, or starting a new blog. But uh, you can find me on my Facebook page. I'm just Aaron Bias on Facebook. Uh, you'll see a pattern of uh, every Thursday I uh, post a picture of Thor and uh, and uh, with the caption, thank the gods, tis Thor's day. That's the closest thing I have to a blog right now. So there you go. Right, very good. Well, thank you very much for being on the show one more time. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you, Ryan. And, uh, you know, uh, may the force be with you. Happy Life Day. Happy Life Day to you. <laughs> Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.